Friends, we're in a series in the book of Acts, and uh, let me transition us by saying a quick prayer, and we've got a very interesting story to talk about, and I hope that in some ways, some of our study today will help illuminate a little bit more of what in the world is this story, and how did we get here, and why did they write these stories down, and what do they tell us about our faith and our journey at this particular stage? So if you would join with me in prayer, uh, ultimately, let's open up our hearts And saying, even in this story, God, what are you saying? How are you speaking? What is it that can transform me and us? So, Lord, as we dig in and as we share, Lord, help us to receive and to listen carefully and to maybe ask some deeper, better questions. And for our faith in this space and in this place uh, to be transformed once again, to be invited in to your way. our faith journey can often get distracted. We can uh, fall off course. We can lose our way and still claim that we love you, but we're really following ourselves. And so I pray that as we continue our study through your word and through these stories, you would just kind of get us back on track, get our eyes focused on you once again. Remind us of your way, your kingdom. And if there's anything in our hearts that is preventing your way and your kingdom from living here on this earth, would you just take that away from us? And we pray in your name. Amen. I've asked Ezekiel, as a young man in our midst, to come, and he's going to read our opening passage from Acts chapter 20. I have it on the screen for you if you'd like, if you would like to read. Acts chapter 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul talked with him, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talks, as Paul talks still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking his ar- him in his arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And then Paul had gone up and broke bread and eaten. He conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. Yeah. And verse 12. And they took the youth away alive, and were not a little comforted. All right, Ezekiel, thank you so much. Well done. You take that back. Take that back to speak. Oh. Uh, I've titled this message, When Good Fortune Falls Asleep. When Good Fortune Falls Asleep. Now, this guy Eutychus, Eutychus, everybody say Eutychus. Eutychus Eutychus is this famous person in the Bible who is known for falling asleep during Paul's very, very lengthy discourse and conversation and what uh, some preachers usually say a sermon. So Eutychus is very tired. Paul is droning on and on and on. Uh, Pastors and preachers make jokes about this all the time. Uh, Hey, they they go, I'm going on and on and on and on and on. And uh, this person falls asleep. How many of you, by the way, have ever fallen asleep during any lecture, sermon, teach, talk, anything? Anybody? Yeah, because there's some Something about the very nature, first of all, of the acoustics of a place like this and the very nature of just listening to somebody drone on and Bueller, Bueller, Bueller. (laughs) That just slowly, subtly, you know, lulls you into a deep sleep. Uh, and this, of course, is something that's fun to make fun of and some, something that people, of course, are going to, I don't know, sometimes condemn you for if you fall asleep. And some, and some books have even been written. I, I found a couple books that have suggested that there is a uh, 
an ethic that we should overcome the Eutychus problem, people falling asleep during the Word of God being preached. So if you've grown up in the church or you've heard this story before, again, reading these Bible stories takes us to the immediate veneer, the thing that we see. What do we see? Somebody preaching, teaching, upper room, young man falling asleep, falling to his death, Paul somehow goes down and lays on top of him, which is a word, by the way, that means to fall upon him, which is a very common phrase, actually, in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit falls upon the people. So in in some ways, the writer, Luke, is suggesting that just like the Holy Spirit, the divine presence has fallen upon the people. So now Paul is falling upon Eutychus in the same way, and as a result, is revived. And now, this shouldn't be terribly unfamiliar for those of you who are familiar with the Bible. There are stories of people coming back to life, a resurrection, uh, being revived. And that is an image and a picture of what this new life in Christ is supposed to be. That while we are dead, or yet while we are dead, we can still be alive. In this particular story with Eutychus, he is dead, but then Paul says his life, his soul, is still within him. So there's something Uh, going on right there. So that's one particular layer, dead, sleeping, sermon. What I'd like to share with you in this particular time that we have together is I want you to consider the question that Spark wrestles with, not what does it mean or what does it say, but what did it mean and what could it have said? In other words, we're reading into somebody else's mail, This is a guy who's writing a letter or writing uh, an account, some sort of historical narrative, for a group of people not in the 21st century, but way back when and a long time ago during the first century, trying to describe this movement and trying to help us understand what was this movement all about and what were its characteristics. So what we're going to do today is try to go back there and actually not look at the story itself. What we're going to actually do is try to look at the world around the story. And this is one of the techniques or one of the processes that you should go through whenever you read your Bible and you come to weird and strange passages like this. Like, what is this doing in here? Especially where it's nestled in in the, in the text, where the first portion of chapter 20 is Paul getting all these companions and then Eutychus happens. And then after that, he says, well, then we went here, we went here, we went here. It's kind of like this travel log of all these places that we went. What in the world is this story doing right in here? As we go back, what we're going to discover is that what Luke is doing in this story is not just trying to relay to you a story. He's actually trying to retell a familiar story but in a new way, in a new context, with new meanings and with new value systems. What do I mean by that? Well, let me show you an example. There are some very significant, important things that are going on in our world. I think all of us would agree. And part of the technique of exposing the importance of what is going on in this world is to tell it within the context of a story that is familiar to all of you, but yet unrelated. Here's an example of what I mean.
Now, for those of you who pay attention to the news, what are we talking about? This is a significant issue. So significant that most of us who live anywhere in the world are paying attention to the news. And we're trying to figure out information, try to get some understanding. By the way, I could have done this with a whole host of any other particular subjects. And part of the reason why you put it within the context of a Star Wars theme is one of the things that I might be trying to communicate is that what is going on here today in this world is actually not too dissimilar to a story all of you are very familiar with. And part of the lessons that we draw and the lessons that we learn about how we're supposed to deal with this particular story in our modern day context is to actually draw from, think about, and consider, hey, that Star Wars film, let's go back and revisit and consider and think about what's going on there. And maybe, maybe something from there would spur us on to considering what in the world do we do now and here? Now, let me make one clarification. I am not saying that regarding North Korea and Star Wars. That's not what I'm saying. My point is simply this. One of the ways in which people communicate throughout history and even to this particular day is through the genre of retelling a story. And in fact, if you take a look at some news reports and some articles that I've seen recently, some people are going back to older stories and retelling them, but just changing the characters a little bit so as to expose the, either the hidden abuses, the powers, the nuances, the, the things that are going on in that story. And the reason why they tell it within that story is because that story is very well known to all of us. This thing that we're experiencing in our contemporary socioeconomic, religious, political situation, we are not quite sure what's going on, but by framing it within that story, it helps us to draw those connections and draw those pictures. Are you with me? This is one of the ways that people communicate. And what I'm going to suggest to you is that this Eutychus story, this story about a gentleman, a young man, falling out of a window, dying, being revived, is one of those stories. And part of the reason for us that it's so complicated to read the Bible is because we don't know the original story. What was the story that Luke was talking about? What was the story or the myth or the under, what was that narrative that Luke was drawing in all these images? And if we could get to that then maybe we can understand what is this story about Eutychus doing in our text. There's actually several stories in the first century that sound really, really familiar to this Eutychus story. One of them is a gentleman by the name of Elpenor from Homer's Odyssey. A second one is a, name, a gentleman by the name of Patroclus from a, another book called The Acts of Paul. Now, Homer's Odyssey, obviously, ancient Greece, Acts of Paul, somewhere around the first or second century A.D. after Jesus. This can take you on a long journey. I don't want to do that in a sermon or a talk for us today. What I want to do is just focus actually on one story, Homer's Odyssey, Elpenor. And what I want to do is read for you a segment. It's obviously a longer section, but I want to read for you a section of that story 
And I want you to think about this Eutychus story while you read it. It's really, really fascinating. Here's a piece of art. Elpenor is right there on the left side right there. There's Odysseus who's going to meet him from the grave. And this story comes from Homer's Odyssey. And here is just a segment of that story. We had with us, and this is Odysseus speaking, a certain youth named Elpenor. Now, right away, a certain youth. That phraseology is the exact same Greek phrase that Paul uses to describe Eutychus, a certain young man, not very remarkable for sense or courage, who had got drunk and was lying on the top house away from the rest of the men to sleep off his liquor in the cool, as you do. When he heard the noise of the men bustling about below, he jumped up on a sudden and forgot all about coming down by the main staircase, so he tumbled right off the roof and broke his neck, and his soul went down to the house of Hades. At this particular point, the goddess, this particular goddess, Kirke, comes to Odysseus and says, you need to leave right now and go there and go have a meeting and a, some sort of a conversation with the spirits of the underworld. So he goes there and begins to have this conversation, and he has no idea that Elpenor has fallen off the roof. He has no clue. And the first spirit that meets him when he comes is ultimately Elpenor. So here's that phrase in the Odyssey. You think you're about to start home again, but Kirke has explained to me that instead of this, we have got to go to the house of Hades. The first ghost that came was that of my comrade Elpenor, for he had not yet been laid beneath the earth. In other words, this guy is on the roof. They make a bustle. He falls off the roof, breaks his neck, dies. Everybody leaves and just leaves him there. They have no idea that he's lying next to the house dead. We had left his body unwaked and unburied in Kerke's house, for we had had too much else to do. I was sorry for him and cried when I saw him. Elpenor, I said, how did you come down here into this gloom and darkness? You have here on foot quicker than I have with my ship. Sir, he answered with a groan. I love that, with a groan. It was all bad luck and my own unspeakable drunkenness. I was lying asleep on the top of Kierke's house and never thought of coming down again by the great staircase, but fell right off the roof and broke my neck. So my soul went down to the house of Hades. Do not go thence, leaving me unwaked and unburied behind you, or I may bring heaven's anger upon you. Rather, burn me with whatever armor I have. Build a barrow for me on the seashore that may tell people in days to come what a poor, unlucky fellow I was and plant over my grave the oar I used to row with when I was yet alive with my messmates. As I said, my poor fellow, I will do all you have asked of me. Commentators on this particular portion of Homer's Odyssey talk about this phrase, Really unfortunate, poor, unfortunate, poor fellow. Why? Because prior to this, he had survived a Peloponnesian war. He had survived cannibalism. He had survived a very close encounter with a nemesis. And how does he meet his doom? He's drunk and he falls off of a roof. How very unfortunate. 
Now, when you read that story, it's part of a much grander story, obviously, about travels and journeys and helps to formulate a little bit of the understanding of the Greek myth and the Greek idea, who we are as a people. And this is one of those stories. Unfortunate things happen. Bad things happen. And part of this story communicates you could be all great. You could be powerful. You could be mighty. You could actually win some wars. You could actually battle over cannibals. You could fight your nemesises and survive. Nemesi? Nemesises. You could fight them and survive. But ultimately, ultimately, what will bring your demise? Bad luck is going to bring your demise. I'm sure that might sound familiar to all of us. You have done the right thing. You've gone the right places. You've even had some successes. And then somewhere along the life, somewhere along your life, something just happens. And you're like, seriously? That's how it's going to end? Like I took care of everything and then all of a sudden that thing happened? This is how we understand our life. This is how we live. And this particular story is woven into the fabric of the culture back then to help formulate that kind of idea. Everything essentially is in the hands of the gods. Good fortune, bad fortune. Now, why is this story connected with that story? Why is Eutychus connected with the story of Elpenor? Why is Luke's story in Acts connected with Homer's Odyssey? Here are the things that just line up so perfectly. First, He says a certain young man in both of those stories. In both of the stories, the soul is present. In Elpenor, the soul is lost, but in Eutychus, the soul is still there. Even though he falls down dead, Paul declares the soul is still there. The soul is still there, which is a very distinct difference between the story of somebody dead and that soul leaves and goes to Hades and somebody, Eutychus, who dies, but the soul, the life, The Greek word psuche, where we get our word psychology from, is still there. It's still animate within the person. They both fall from a roof. And fascinatingly enough, the Greek word for roof and the Greek word for third floor is the same word. Just add the word third to it. So in the Eutychus story, it's not necessarily the third story. It would have been the third roof. So those two things are the same. Eutychus falls into a deep sleep. Elpenor falls into a sweet sleep. Both of them have stories about breaking bread, eating, and drinking. In the Elpenor story, he goes to Hades in deep darkness. If you noticed in the Eutychus story, Bible commentators wonder about this all the time. Why does it have this verse in there that says, and there were many lamps lit? Nobody has figured this out. I've I've searched all sorts of commentaries. Nobody can figure out why does Luke include that detail? And some people uh, speculate, well, if a lot of lamps were lit, then a lot of oxygen was being sucked out of the room. So Eutychus was in the window so he could breathe, but then he passed, right? There's all sorts of different ways of trying to understand this. So when you read your Acts story, many lamps were lit may actually be, again, some sort of, you know, toss back to the Elpenor Odyssey story. And here's what's fascinating, which draws it all together. Notice in Elpenor's story, he says, it was because of bad fortune. It was because of bad luck that I'm here. Does anybody want to guess what you, to kiss his name, means? It means good fortune. His name actually means lucky. So Eutychus means good fortune, somebody who is lucky. Now add to that the location. The story of Elpenor actually happens in a city called Troy, 
And if you take a look at your Bible in Acts chapter 20, it says specifically when they got to the city of Troas, which is just a modern form of the word Troy. In the Eutychus story, Paul goes down and lays upon Eutychus, says his soul is still with him. And then he goes back up, eats, and continues preaching while the guy is still lying there. It's not until the morning time do the attendants come, pick him up, and revive him. And it's also the same with Elpenor. He's dead and nobody attends to him. And only after he's, his soul is visited in Hades does he then get his burial. So some commentators point out the similarities in this and say, you know what Luke is actually doing here? This little story, this Eutychus story that's tucked in this grand narrative is actually trying to retell the Jesus story using a very well-known common story of his day. And if you can figure out what's the same in those stories and then pick apart what is different, you can start to see a little bit of what is Luke actually trying to do. And I'm going to give you my best shot of it. Last, the common similarity is that Homer's Odyssey is all about travel. And throughout the entire story, it's all about those different locations that they go to. And here's one, of, one person's map. And of course, what is the book of Acts in this later portion? List after list after list of city after city after city that Paul goes to and sails around. Very similar to the journeys of Odysseus. Luke is retelling the Elpenor story in the story of Eutychus. And here's going to be my suggestion. This time, however, the reason why it's within the context of this Jesus story is that Luke is attempting to communicate that in Jesus, there is life after death. That even when bad things happen, even when misfortune happens, even when bad luck hits you, even when the worst of the worst comes, the soul is not gone. There is still life. In the Elpenor story, he's dead, unfortunate, bad mishap, straight to hell, straight to Hades. And the only way that he can find peace is to try to somehow get Odysseus to get back there, grab his body, and give him a proper burial. And this is the only way that he's going to be able to find peace. In the Eutychus story, he falls down. He's dead. Paul lays down on top of him and says, no, no, no. There's still life here. And even though it looks as if, even though it seems as if this thing, this person, that, oh, poor brother is dead, the soul is still there. There is still life to be had. And that, ultimately, is what this Jesus story is all about. This movement of Jesus comes into the Greco-Roman world and declares the way in which we find our identity, the way in which we understand how we are to live in this world, is not through the misfortunes or the whimsical capriciousness of the gods and the goddesses and whatever the heck they do. No, our story is about good luck because our story is about how there is still life. No matter how bad, how dark, how glum, gloom, glimmy, gloppy, no matter how 
dark it may seem, there is still life. And so what Luke does is he takes that old story, that story that everybody knew, that story that everybody just kind of subsumed themselves under and then said, yeah, that's kind of the way life works. I could win one day. I could fall off the roof and break my neck the next day. So be it. If that's the story that is informing the way you live your life, if that's the story that informs how you shape your identity and what you think about your future, by the way, if that's the story, Luke is going to come along and challenge you and say, let me tell you a little bit of a different story. Eh, Very similar characters, very similar elements. Sure, things happen. I'm not going to deny that these incidences are going to occur, but there is, here's the twist, there is still life in there. Don't ever give up hope that there is still life. And that center of that life is the way and the movement of Jesus. Now, the reason why this is so important is because this movement of Jesus is uh, heading into a, exposing itself to all sorts of people and places all over the world. And as these people come in, as the movement of Jesus expands to these people, it makes perfect sense that as they come to the movement of Jesus, as they try to figure out, okay, I'm, I'm, try, I'm intrigued by what you're telling me about this new life in Jesus. I'm intrigued about what it means that this resurrection thing happens, that you're telling me that even though bad things happen, good things can come about. Even though death happens, life can actually be revived. You're telling me all of these things happen in Jesus. I'm still, I'm still trying to figure it out. They come into this movement. It makes sense that they're still a little perplexed as to how that all works. And as they come in, they're going to bring with them all of the cultural baggage that they have been living in for the past however many years. They're going to bring in their traditions. They're going to bring in their food. They're going to bring in their behavior, their rituals, their customs, their language, their beliefs. They're going to bring all of that in. So it makes sense. It really makes sense that Luke would then take a story that is culturally and customarily known by the people and say, let me retell you that same story, but transform it into a whole new way of thinking that there is still life, even though there is death. And I love, once you kind of get this and understand Luke's brilliant way of retelling this story, you start to go back and you say, oh, wait a second, wait a second. That's what this Jesus story has been doing all along. Consider, every, consider a lot of different ways in which we build our civilization. Consider all the pillars that hold up how our society holds together. There's religion, there's philosophy, there's economics, and then there's stories or mythologies. Then there's politics and power. There's all these things within our civilization that hold us up, that cause us to live, that cause us to be alive, that cause this society to work together. All of that exists. But if we continue to tell that story the same way that they have been telling the story, there's no hope. There's bad luck, misfortune. This Jesus story comes along and says, let me retell you that story. It's okay that you have religion, but let me tell you what religion means and looks like if you are a follower of the way of Jesus. It's okay to have philosophy, but let me tell you what philosophy means in light of who Jesus is. 
Economics is absolutely going to be a way in which we're going to have to live in the world. But according to Acts 2 and Acts 4, economics doesn't work by mere, uh, perhaps what we might say, capitalism, that you can just gain and gain and gain, and that's just the way the world works. No, economics actually works very, very differently if you are living in accordance with the way of Jesus. And then stories, the mythologies that we tell ourselves are very, very different according to the way of Jesus. This comes in Acts chapter 20. Later on, for the rest of the book, where is Paul headed? But he's headed to Rome, which means that the last bastion of it is going to be ultimately politics. All of these institutions are upended, retold, reframed for those of us who follow Jesus. That's what's so brilliant about this Eutychus story. Same story, different characters, different plot line, different result, different value system. Prior to this, in Acts chapter 19, he's in Ephesus, and there's this phrase that is not said by Paul. It's said by one of the pagans that they are witnessing to. He says, so this person says, that Paul is saying, man-made gods are no gods at all. And I'm going to suggest to you, my friends, that this forms the crux, the center of this story, the Eutychus story, and the entire movement of Acts. That all of these institutions, all of these pillars, all of these things that hold up our way of living, those are not gods. Man-made gods are no gods at all. Whether it's the religious institution that is upholding ourselves, whether it's a philosophical institution, an economic one, a mythological one, or a political one. Those are not gods. They are not gods at all. That's what I'm going to suggest to you is happening in this story. And when the Jesus movement comes along, every single one of those is ultimately going to be upended, reinformed. It's going to be retold. It's going to be rethought. It's going to be rehashed through the lens of Jesus. And these early followers... The reason why we're here. How in the world did we get here? How in the world did we get to this particular place? We got to this particular place because those early followers took those old stories, those old institutions, those old ways of thinking and said, those things are not gods. That system is not my God. Jesus is my God. And how he lives, how he moves, how he breathes, how he behaves religiously, how he functions economically, how he structures power politically, how he governs socioeconomically, and how he keeps a community together by the stories that he tells, that's how we're going to do it. And the entire book of Acts is shaping a system, a way of being that is completely different from these old institutions. Part of the reason why I was excited to do this series on Acts is because there's a big question. What the heck is Christianity today, given all the complex questions that people are asking in our current context? There's a lot of people, and this has been going on for a long time, different ways that we think revolution should happen, different ways in which we think that our particular faith, our Christianity should be married to this particular institution in this way. Um, I was actually just reading, for those of you who are friends with me on Facebook, I just posted my notes on Randall Balmer's Thy Kingdom Come. 
He talks a little bit about politics and religion in that sense and about how we believe that the Christian revolution is if we can only gain power here, then we will be ultimately what we want to be as a Christian. And he goes through and really prophetically speaks against those kinds of things and reminds us, those powers are not our God. That way is not our way. Those institutions are not our institutions. We live by a different way. We live by a different story. Not the Elpenor story. We live by the Eutychus story. Last in closing, I want to just encourage you, my friends, it can feel as if at times all the institutions, all the pillars that hold up our society are so dark and bleak challenging, frustrating, irritating, infuriating. Be not afraid. For in Christ, there is always a good morning. There is still life. There is still life. Do not be alarmed, for his life is still in him. And I'm going to suggest to you, my friends, that if we can continue in accordance with this tradition of the way of Jesus, to commit ourselves once again to that way, we can see together life reemerge. How did we get here? We retell the stories in different ways, with different meanings, with different conclusions, and different values. And we do not be afraid, because no matter how dark, how dead it may seem, there is still life. And that life comes because of people like us people like others who are committed to that way, to the way of Jesus. And maybe we too can be lucky. Okay, God, I don't know what you're going to do with this talk, but um, I pray that it helps to inspire our thinking and inspire us to live in your way, some way, somehow. Thank you for these stories. Um, I pray that I have done a little bit of justice to it. I pray that we would continue to read these stories with open minds and open hearts, that it would transform us once again to living in your way. And I pray in your name. Everybody said, amen. Thanks, friends.